This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talked to Chitra Agrawal, maker of the Brooklyn Deli line of condiments. She's a lifelong vegetarian, and we talked about raising a vegetarian child, the word curry, and her punk rock youth in New Jersey. Hi, Chitra. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? I grew up in Jersey in kind of, I guess, a multicultural home. My mom is from South India in Bangalore uh, and Mysore area, and my father's from North India, uh, Allahabad, Delhi area. So they grew up kind of eating two different types of cuisine, speaking different languages, and they both like to cook. So we ate both, you know, North Indian, South Indian, um, and then... I mean, growing up in Jersey, ate a lot of pasta and pizza, and a lot of times when my parents would make food at home, it would basically be kind of like Indian spice tacos or Indian <laughs> spice <laughs> pasta. So I feel like it was kind of like all over the place a little bit. But we're all we were our family's vegetarian. Can you talk about the differences between North Indian cuisine and South Indian cuisine? Yeah, so South Indian, I'd say, is more kind of lentil rice based. So um, familiar, I feel like dishes are sambar, rasam, dosas, idlis. Um, and then my father would make a lot of the rotis, or he'd make chapati, paratha, puris, and then um, dishes like chana masala, rajma. Sag paneer. Um, my dad also makes yogurt. My parents like have made yogurt since I was really young. So uh, they kind of divided those uh, those different dishes. But we would eat kind of like North and South Indian on the table, like almost every day. Wow, is that rare? Do you think? I think it is for the generation my parents are from. They met in school, um, and they have what's called a love marriage. So I think a lot of their contemporaries had arranged marriages. And in my family also, um, I'd say for the most part, a lot of my aunts and uncles had arranged marriages. And so um, I'd always be, you know, sitting with the other parent uh, at, like, family functions because they don't speak each other's languages either. So they speak English to each other. Um and like my dad speaks Hindi and my mom speaks Kannada. So you grew up vegetarian. Have you ever rebelled against that or have you been vegetarian forever? I have been vegetarian forever. And I am always kind of, uh, I guess, thinking about that where I feel like I'm pretty adventurous in most things, but I never really... Um, I, I never had the need or, I guess, curiosity maybe to try meat or fish. Um, at one point in my life, I actually considered um, 
just almost uh, almost more so to make my life easier um, to try fish or something. Um, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, I remember trying to, you know, <laughs> get the courage to do it. And then I think at the end of the day, I was like, you know, it's just like my name, you know, it would be easier if my name was um, easily more pronounceable, but um, it's who I am. And I don't think and I think I came to the realization that it that's just it's just who I am. And have you changed your reasons for being vegetarian? I'm if you're born into vegetarianism, you're not making that, you know, whether it's an ethical choice or a dietary choice or anything like that. But have those reasons in your adult life kind of bolstered your resolve to be vegetarian? I think so, definitely. I mean, yeah, coming from being a vegetarian from a cultural perspective, and then now there's just, I mean, there's there's so much information out there in terms of how um, animals are treated and um, and 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 so of course it kind of like makes the I think for myself the resolve more to to stay vegetarian but I mean that also uh, now I have a small child and right to this point he's he's not even two um, but he is we've been raising him vegetarian but I think about that in terms of do I want to limit him in what he can eat? Um, because I've seen just from my own experience in traveling that I wasn't able to experience all of a culture um, when I would go to another country. And that's the only piece that kind of makes me kind of think about do I want to raise my, my son vegetarian or not, because I, I think that there's a spectrum also of the way that um, meat is, you know, like animals are treated for uh, for meat. So I, I think that from country to country, yeah. I mean, I think that in the U.S. it's like, uh, like yeah. a really <laughs> like sad state. Um, right. But I don't know if that's the case everywhere. Right. Right, right, right. Is your husband vegetarian? He's not vegetarian, but we mainly eat vegetarian in the house. And um, he's actually from the Midwest. So he grew up, you know, eating that like meat and potato type of um, food. And the interesting thing about the whole discussion about our kid is that he's open to if the, if we want to raise him vegetarian or not. He kind of has left it in my court. Um, <laughs> but with food that we cook in the house, uh, my husband actually cooks a lot of South Indian food. He learned how to cook a lot of this food from me. And, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about how he's just like, you know, I don't miss the meat because this food it has um, the, these flavors that you don't really kind of think about it. You feel satisfied. Um, and so that has kind of been interesting. But then he'll eat meat when we go out. Right, too. right, right. So... And do you feel any type of way about that? Has that been a source I, of contention? I don't. And unless a lot of times he has plate envy because he'll order something with meat and then I'll order something else. And a lot of times he'll be like, I should have ordered what you ordered. <laughs> and then I'm like, well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So why did you uh, start your blog, The ABCDs of Cooking? When did food become kind of a focal point of your life? Um, I'd say that it always was really, but I never really wrote about it. I think that it was something where when I went to college, especially like my mother would email me recipes and we'd be on the phone um, because I missed a lot of the food. We, we ate at home most every day. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what I, I missed the most um, when, when I went away. And um, over time, I think like I started collecting all these recipes, but they were everywhere and I would be emailing them to cousins or to friends. And then um, I think that when I moved to New York, I joined a CSA. I used to live in California, so I, I feel like it was easier to get, you know, really good quality produce wherever. But like in New York, you kind of have to seek it out. And I think here, when I joined a CSA, um, it was almost like a challenge for me to get through my CSA. But also I was learning these Indian cooking techniques at the same time from my parents. And the blog was a way to kind of blend that together. So a lot of the recipes that I was, um, I was creating or making on the site, they were all, um, based around like these different weird kind of like vegetables that you wouldn't find in Indian cooking really. Right. But I was trying to kind of like, um, teach people the technique, but also, show them that, you know, you could really apply these techniques to any type of vegetable. Because that's kind of how my parents cook, too. You know, when they came to this country, um, a lot of a lot of the ingredients that they grew up um, having at home, they didn't have here. So they would kind of like make do with what uh, vegetables that they found. Um, and so it was kind of in that same vein. But um, I started it basically to document my family's recipes. Um, and I mean, through it, it became this community thing where I, I was able to kind of connect with a lot of people that were um, blogging in Brooklyn and in New York. And also um, I started, you know, it, it was a way for me to connect actually with, um, with community here. And when did Brooklyn Deli launch and, and what inspired that? Brooklyn Deli launched in 2014. And I mean, a lot of the recipes actually that um, we have put out there for Brooklyn Deli, I developed um, when I was blogging at the ABCDs of cooking. So um, the tomato achar was the first product. That was something that I had come up with using heirloom tomatoes, which we don't use anymore because it's like so expensive. <laughs> um, but, you know, like the garlic achar also, my rhubarb was also from um, that. Um, and it was from Wilklow Orchards. I remember that was the CSC the Fort Greene CSA and I was getting all of um, vegetables from Fred Wilklow and um, later we we sourced from him as well so um, it, it those recipes kind of grew from that and the reason why achar I guess is that I have been obsessed with Indian pickle for I mean since I was young um, and I'd always bring back you know pickle from India a lot of my my relatives make it and um, but I couldn't find some Something that was similar in vain here in the stores. So I started making it, but I also wanted to use the the seasonal vegetables because that's kind of like what <laughs> that that's basically it's pickling. Right, so. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to pickle the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when did you start to get into like using local produce and, and supporting local agriculture? 
Um, I'd say, I mean, I was doing that when in living in California. I I went to school in Berkeley. I um, I lived in LA after, and I feel like that that whole um, like farmers market um, <laughs> you know uh, routine was kind of instilled early on. Um, and my parents also, I mean, we actually, they live in India for part of the year and, um, I would go to India almost every year. And that was also something that was always a part. We would go to the market or there in India, sometimes there are people that sell vegetables, just like walking on the street, like yelling, (laughs) like cucumber, like, you know, (laughs) like, and stuff like that. So it's like the way that my parents cook would be like, buying whatever they needed and then cooking it that day. And I think that that's kind of like the way that, um, that I've always kind of like looked at it. Right, right, right. So what challenges both in the kitchen and as a business have you run into while you've been doing Brooklyn Deli? Like, oh, challenges as in, like, uh, well, what have been, what's been the biggest, uh, problem you faced in the kitchen with it like what has been the big Brooklyn Deli yeah yeah okay um I'd say I mean in the beginning it was scaling right Right. so it was kind of like you take a recipe that you've made over and over again in your home kitchen and then all of a sudden um I started making it out of a soup pantry in Brooklyn and they had like a large braising pan and also a kettle and we found you know there was all of these in scaling it it was like okay well in a pot in my house like I can make it pretty quickly but in a braising pan it was like it took hours and hours and hours right and Mm -hmm. then just like the processing and um it was interesting though because I I worked with um people that worked in the soup pantry and they make meals for like thousands of people a day right so Mm -hmm. they actually helped me to understand a little bit of of scale and things like that um we figured out different ways like for my roasted garlic achar it was like impossible to evenly roast all of the um all, all of the the garlic at once so they we they helped me to figure out in a, a way to kind of like fix that piece and so I feel like there was a lot of like learning curve um when it went when when we started um but then you start to kind of like understand like okay this can we can fix it by this or we can do this and and um getting more familiar with using kind of like industrial size um you know equipment. Right, right, right. And so as a business, what's been the biggest challenge? And you've launched four years ago? Yeah. 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 So what, what's been the hardest part? I'd say education almost because I'm selling a product that is not, (laughs) not very well known and I'm selling it by the name that it's known by in North India. Right. So A lot of people call it Indian pickle, but depending on the region, they will call it by the language that they're speaking. So my mom, for instance, is from South India, and achar is referred to as upankai. When I was thinking of the how we were going to position it, and I'm I've I teach cooking classes, I wanted people to also learn something through it by the label, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to just call it Indian pickle because I wanted it to have, you know, (laughs) some other, like, I I wanted there to be some type of 
more to it than than just that right so um so that has been that has been like a a big piece um and and also it's just like i didn't think about it but of course it's like other indians that know indian pickle they may not know a char because they grew up calling it something else so (laughs) anyway that was like a whole like i think just a market research um (laughs) right right right. thing where i i didn't do very much market research (laughs) for that um but i mean i feel like we have tried to do our best with like educating people on how to use it and and what it is and i mean just keep going at it <laughs> yeah 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 well do you feel like you've you've grown and done a uh, you've gotten more of a fan base who like knows yeah no definitely i mean well the other thing is is that we realized later too that so a char from a retail pr- perspective somewhat doesn't make as much sense because people that are looking at a grocery aisle are like, I don't know what that is and I don't know if I need yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. But from a food service perspective, it's been great. So um, we have a number of places that use the achar in in sandwiches and in different dishes, like Blue Apron just started using the oh, tomato wow. char. So that's like the perfect way for people to get educated right, is right, that right. it's already in something and they understand the flavor. And um, with Blue Apron, it's like they're cooking with it, right? right. So that, that piece has been been really helpful for us right 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 and I was thinking this because I was on your website this morning and I like my first thought but also I think I'm a I'm not like the I'm not a person who would ever think oh that food is too expensive but I was looking at the prices and I was like it seems too cheap like (laughs) oh oh like for well I mean in terms of I I have to say like our margins are pretty slim of course yeah but what we have learned is when you're selling an unfamiliar product also it's like people are only willing to pay maybe, you know, a premium for it if they know it and they know that it's premium, right? Our product is premium, but not a lot of people know about it. So I think I always think about like, you know, and it's not comparable. Like the guy that owns Sriracha, he's like, I just wanted everybody to try it. I was selling (laughs) for like a dollar, you know, kind of thing. And, um, and I guess, like, with the achars, it's that um, we just want more people to try it, right, really. Right, right. And yeah. uh, at this point. Uh, but that's why, I mean, we came out with two, I came out with two other flavors that are a little bit more accessible, but they have the flavors of, like, my, tom- like my curry ketchup basically is flavored with my tomato achar. Right, right, right. Well, we've seen, like, Sir, there's been this market for upscale condiments like Sir Kensington's or, or anything like yeah. that. Do you think that that's sort of helped your market in a way? I think so. Well, I mean, the the grocery scene is just kind of messed up in right. general where it's like <laughs> our chars sit in the, you know, ethnic category, right? right? Which means brown food. <laughs> and then the ketchup and the mustard that we have sits in the condiments aisle. And there's just so many more eyeballs like right. that are looking at that aisle that our products like have an easier time being picked up and sold just also because people are familiar with, okay, we know what to do with that. Right, right, right. Um, but in like 
the ethnic aisle, it's like, there's not a lot of traffic, I don't right. think. I think the most amount of traffic is people going there to buy coconut milk. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, I, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so I hope that changes. Yeah, yeah, You yeah, know? Yeah. But, and I, I plan on putting out more products that are more traditional in nature as well because my idea is that, you know, with just the way that I grew up eating, it's, it was a mix of things. I ate very traditional Indian food, but on the other spectrum, I also ate like, you know, junk food too, right? right, right. right? Um, but then it, it's like, how do I um, make my, how do you make sense of your identity um, through, how do I make sense of this identity through this brand? Right. When it's kind of complicated because it's like a lot of brands, you have to stick to one kind of one perspective and that's that's it mm -hmm. but I feel that I don't want to do that right, right because right. it's just not who I am yeah. so yeah and with the the ketchup and the mustard I saw you on a panel at the happy family night market around um, Indian cuisine and the word curry was brought up because it's always brought up yes. because it's kind of a vague yeah. term. Um, and you talked about why you chose to go with it because of its accessibility to a broad population. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the process of, of developing those flavors and also why you decided to go with that name? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the ketchup basically was, um, something that we would make at home. I would basically mix our tomato achar with ketchup. And so we had pitched this to a buyer and she loved the flavor of it. And so we were, we, at that point we decided that we would, um, develop it mm -hmm. and put it out there. Um, and then she also asked us to make a curry mustard. So these are actually products that exist in oh. Germany. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know that until later. But I did struggle with the name because, like, a lot of times people think, oh, curry, they think, like, heavy cumin, you know, this, like, generic curry powder, right? right? But we also were like, okay, what if we do masala? That, that's spice mixture. What if we do spicy? What if we do, you know, all right, right, these right. different things? And at this point, we were like, okay, we didn't do any market research with Achar. Let's do market research here. Right, right, right. So when we did it, it was like astounding. The number of people that were like, curry, <laughs> it, it, it says it's Indian. And, you know, if I yeah. said spicy ketchup, people would be like, and I, I mean, this whole thing is like, drives me mad, but like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because I'm also a person that comes from a perspective that, I mean, I don't love the word curry, right. but yet my parents use the word curry, you know? And so it's kind of like, it, it has this backlash, right. but at the same time, people are using it. It's kind of like, you know, people using the word noodle, that's not right. an Asian term, but it's been, you know, <laughs> it's used. Right, right, right. Um, and to describe something because there isn't another word maybe right now that other people are, like most people are able to understand. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that'll change? I hope so. <laughs> I really do. I mean, the whole, the whole thing about like putting these, the curry ketchup and the curry mustard out is that 
I hope it's a bridge, you know, like we have specific, um, like on our bottles, we specifically say, you know, uh, talk about our chars on there mm -hmm. because we find that if people like these flavors, then hopefully they're going to want to go for something more right. like traditional yeah. and, uh, and so it's my only hope, but, you know, I've learned so much about grocery just in the past four years, um, going in there pretty naive and then understanding that even if a buyer is excited about your flavors, they'll put you on the shelf, right. but consumers are just not there Yeah, with Indian flavors. Mm. And do you think that, I mean, we've, there's been such talk, especially in like the last decade about like the artisanal small batch products and stuff like that. Do you think we've hit any sort of point right now where either people know what that means and why that's important? Or do you think that people still kind of are like, no, I'll get Heinz and that's fine and that doesn't mean anything? I mean, I think that I was just like looking through some research just now kind of on the condiments category. Mm -hmm. And in general, in America, I'd say people could care less about right. small batch. I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's mainly on the coast maybe right. and communities that are more connected to um, artisan makers. Yeah. Um, and I, and it, it could just be a case of um, economics, right? Right. I mean, you have to be in... Uh, there's a lot of families, right, that can't afford to pay for, of course. Uh, you know, <laughs> like like small batch right. types of um, products, even though they're probably better for their kids and, and things like that. But that's the sorry fact about, you know, right. the consumer goods like yeah. industry. Yeah. <laughs> no, as a food writer, I think about this all the time because like you'll see big magazines or editors be like, Sure, Heinz is the best ketchup. Like, screw a house-made ketchup. And I'm like, we could eat the house-made ketchup. We don't always need everything to be that generic. Yeah. And, like, same thing with, like, a Hershey bar or, like, Skippy peanut butter or something like that, where it's like, but these things are bad for people and, like, ecologically yeah and I mean yeah. but it's hard to say this because then you look like a snob. So yeah. it's like trying to find that balance between, like, being a snob and, like, being caring about how things are made. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like sometimes those articles seem like sensationalist, yes. right? So it's kind of like, haha, like I'm this like really highbrow food writer, but I'm going to say that I love Kewpie mayo, right, you right, know? Right. Like, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's just like, come on. Like it just, it seems like a pandering to yeah. an audience that probably isn't reading Bon Appetit anyway. You yeah. Know? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's my own. <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but your cookbook, Vibrant India, Fresh Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Brooklyn, came out last year, 2017. Yes. Um, how did that come about? And can you talk about the point of view of the book? Yeah. So um, I actually got... Um, contacted by a publisher um, that had seen some of the work that I'd been doing um, on the blog. And then I was doing a ton of pop-up dinners, like um, cooking classes and all these things. And they were kind of attracted to um, the, that work. And so we started, you know, just like talking about what that angle would be. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of like a while ago, I had 
I had also been approached by like an agent who was like, you know, I think what you're doing is interesting. You want to start writing a proposal. And I started writing it and I was like, you know what? I have no idea what I want to write about. So <laughs> yeah. like, let's just like table that for yeah. a little bit. But by the time this publisher had come around, I had really become more interested in South Indian cooking. Mm -hmm. And I was also using a lot of um, local uh, vegetables. I was partnering with farmers for the pop-up dinners I was doing. And um, it, it really seemed right. Like that seemed like something that I could write a book about. And, um, and so what happened was I just, I, I wrote the proposal. Um, I had met an agent actually at like food book fair or something okay, yeah. like that. And she was on a panel, but she was like super late. And so what she said was that, okay, I'm, I was super late, but you can ask questions at the end. So I went and asked her and I was like, hey, like, you know, this publisher said that they were interested in, in my work, but I'm just kind of like, you know, how do I navigate this? Is this something? And, and by chance she knew the publisher and she was just like, well, you know, that's like, he's a, he's a good editor and blah, blah. And she was just like, but send me your proposal, you know, mm -hmm. if you want help, uh, with, um, just like representation and stuff. So I wrote this proposal, which was basically like, kind of like the whole, almost the whole book. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, just like the intro part and everything. And I sent it to her and she, um, she was really into it and she was just like, but you know, maybe you want to shop it around to more publishers just right, to right. see what you got. And eventually, I mean, she did shop it around and I ended up going with an imprint of the publisher oh. that had contacted me anyway. So yeah. it was kind of a roundabout thing, but, but, <laughs> but it worked out. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah. And the perspective is also recipes from my mom's family in Bangalore. Um, and she is a Brahmin, um, and that style of cooking is, you know, based all in vegetarian style of cooking, um, that is grains, vegetables, um, and, uh, I kind of took those recipes and then layered on like local vegetables um, and things like that. And I mixed in some of my, you know, <laughs> some other influences, but it's pretty much like, a, I'd say traditional South Indian cooking techniques. So and did you enjoy writing the cookbook? Did you? I did, but it was really tough because I had launched Brooklyn Deli at the same time. Right. So it was kind of like a really, it, it was like a manic, kind of time <laughs> I feel like when I look back on it I don't even know like <laughs> you know like how that went got to be but they um it kept on extending the date so I actually wrote that book over three years oh wow yeah and um and I do I like the name of the book was supposed to be from Bangalore to Brooklyn uh-huh and that was something that was like we kind of had to go back and forth about for a long time. And <laughs> did you do you like the name? I mean, I I rather it be from Bangalore right. to Brooklyn, but I guess at the time they were like not as many people know Bangalore, and you know from a sales perspective and right. all this stuff. So at least I got it in the subtitle, <laughs> but. But I yeah, still, the title the title is so broad. Yeah, the yeah. title is very broad, and I've seen this a lot with Indian cookbooks where the title is broad, but then the story is very particular and specific, and it's just this whole marketing thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, do you think you'll do another cookbook? 
maybe eventually, <laughs> but I have to, you know, be very, uh, I think that, and actually I learned this from Lucas too, where for his last book, he was very specific about what he wanted to name it and everything like that. And I think that that's very important as an author. Like, I think I was a little bit naive going in there like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out and um, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. And all this stuff. But I think the more specific you can be um, about just like even the name, just perspective, um, the better uh, the process will go. Um, but they didn't really change anything of what I wrote. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So there was, <laughs> so I'm like, well, the inside is all good. You know. <laughs> I mean, you're not the first person I've heard. who's like, well, the inside is me, but the outside was for <laughs> someone else. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Lucas, Lucas Volger, who, who's been on the show before. Do you feel like you have a good community within Brooklyn of food people? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably met most of my friends through food here. Um, and when I was writing the blog, so, I mean, I met a lot of people when I was selling at, um, food markets mm -hmm. that, um, it was actually like a food market that was before like Smorgasburg, um, called like the Greenpoint food market. Okay. And, um, it was like in 2010 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of people that were in that market now have brands like Mama O's Kimchi, Anita's Coconut Yogurt, Brooklyn oh, wow. Brine, Anarchy in a Jar, Morris & Co., like Syrup, like all these people. Right, right, And right. I met a lot of them then and we've stayed in touch and we help each other a lot with um with our businesses because it's just like there's so much to navigate um oh, and yeah. then from like a, a cookbook perspective from blogging i met like kathy Irway, diana kwan like a lot of people luisa shafia um Lu lucas uh who helped me through the cookbook process right, right, too right. so it's like there was like these two worlds um and i think it was like going on you know in this like uh, funny dorky time I feel like in, <laughs> in Brooklyn where people were just like doing cook-offs and like yeah, yeah, you yeah. know like, <laughs> and, like you could just do whatever you wanted and right. you made a lot of friends though through it yeah, you know and it was just kind of like not it wasn't pretentious at all it was just what it was <laughs> right and I mean it has this reputation as being pretentious but yeah yeah <laughs> You don't think that's earned, though? Um, oh, the pretentiousness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it, things have changed a right, lot, right? right? I mean, now it, it's, I mean, there's a lot of cool kids. <laughs> like, I feel like uh, I'm an old dork. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to name any names, I guess. Um, you kind of, you talked about this a little bit about with travel and stuff, but do you think that being in the food world and in Brooklyn has like being vegetarian limited you at all? Um, in Brooklyn, I feel like um, it's gotten better. I mean, when I first moved to New York in like 2005, I feel like it was uh, it, it was a totally different landscape, right. and um, now. Uh, I mean, it's very, it's easier, of course, right, to right, find right. Um, food that is 
Well, I'd say more vegan actually than vegetarian. Right. I think right, that's right. another thing, right? It's yeah. like kind of like the vegan, um, the vegan community is really strong, but yes. I wouldn't say the same thing about the vegetarian community. I feel yeah. like yeah. it's kind of like this funny thing where it's like the vegetarians kind of are looked at like, you know, uncool. Right. <laughs> Again, no. dorks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's true. And like, I mean, I'll admit this. When I first became a vegan, I was, you know, there's a strong current of anti-vegetarianism within veganism. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like you're you're just half-assing it. You're not really, you don't really care about animals, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I don't feel that way now. Yeah. Um, but that's, it's a very strange thing because you would, you would think that vegans and vegetarians are natural allies, but. Yeah. But no. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, you would think that it's like veganism also, it's it's about um, caring for animals. It's about like, I would think community right. that um, that it would that they they would be kind of like BFs. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem to be the case. It doesn't work out, though. I know um, you, you'd mentioned <laughs> to me, I think that you were you were like a punk rock kid. Yeah. Can you, how how was being in that space and and obviously that's a super like vegetarian vegan friendly yeah way to live definitely yeah. I mean in high school it was I mean we would go to like you know legion halls and yeah. just like go to shows and stuff like that and it was it's like a very um, welcoming community because I don't really feel like I ever really fit in kind of thing so when that kind of became um, you know a scene it was like like it, it was really cool yeah, um, yeah, yeah. for me. And then I went to Berkeley. So it's like going to the Gilman and like there was a, a, a very kind of like established um, kind of uh, more established community there of like larger that um, I don't know. It, it's in it, all of these things like food, not bombs, like all all of those types of organizations. It's like um, it. It does. I think it does filter into um, even the work in food later that I did, which was just kind of creating stuff out right. of nothing and trying to find people that are like-minded and people that you can collaborate with. And and I think that that whole kind of like feeling kind of came from from that too. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and do you think that food? And cooking, food, eating is a political act? Uh, I think so, more so now than ever, really, um, just in terms of what's going on and um, with, uh, I mean, farmers getting pinched and, and things like that. It's like you really need to kind of take a stand um, to ensure that um, we are getting uh, vegetables and fruits from right. from smaller farmers um in the area i think that's the the piece that i feel most passionate about just because right. i work with farmers so um uh, but but it is kind of like a funny thing because i came to it later it wasn't like my vegetarianism was so not rooted in that right. and it's something that i became more knowledgeable about later too well, thank you so much for being yeah. here Thank you.